I'm joined now by Jonathan Rumi, who is the very well-known actor who portrays Jesus on The Chosen. He's also one of the main voices on the Hallow app that offers so many different ways to pray. And I'm really excited to have you here, Jonathan. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big fan. It seems like a strange thing to say, but I, I just think that your work is so important. Uh, and you've got a lot of people talking about Jesus in a way that I think that they haven't for a long time. So, you know, I thought it was interesting. Dallas Jenkins, who I've interviewed on this show as well, he said that when he cast you, and you knew each other a bit beforehand, when he cast you in this role, that he saw you as capturing, quote, the tenderness and the masculinity mm. of Christ. I think that's a very good way to put it. And I think you do that really well. Where do you see those two things in balance in this role that you play? I mean, I think, I think both of those qualities are, can be interchangeable for the two sides of Christ's uh, person, which is the divinity and the humanity. 100% human, 100% divine. And both of those natures, I think, in the best sense of those descriptions, tender and masculine, I think they come together in the, in the person of Jesus. And I think you need both to portray um, the Son of Man, you know, the Savior. Because even just let, let you take the, the masculine side, I mean, you just see what he had to, what he ultimately went through, what he had to deal with, and uh, how he did not flinch from his imminent uh, torture and death. Uh, and he accepted it humbly and quietly, and and uh, and yet then you see you know the, the sides of him where he's he's tending to the poorest of the poor, he's healing people, he's raising people from the dead. So I think for me as an actor, I'm tasked with playing somebody who, on the emotional spectrum of of what a human experiences, it has to be. The, the deepest version of every one of those emotions. So he, I think he was the most empathetic person, the most compassionate, the most joyful, um, somebody who, who enjoyed fun more than, you know, on a, on a level that maybe just the average person doesn't experience because he is the author. Joy. He is joy. He is sorrow. He is the man of sorrows. He's all of that wrapped into flesh and blood and bone on this earth. So I think he has to incorporate those qualities very specifically to, to um, or, or I have to try to portray those qualities very specifically and effectively to, to um, authentically portray Jesus. Talk to us about, I, I know you've told this story a lot, but you were a struggling actor. I mean, you had successes, you were working, but it, it's tough out there. A lot of people can relate to that and understand that. Um, when you got this phone call about this role, what were you going through at that time in your life? Uh, three months prior, I had, uh, I had basically surrendered my life to God for whatever he wanted, in whatever way he wanted to use me for, for his designs. Uh, because leading up to that moment, up to that transition, up to that surrender moment, um, I basically worked myself into debt. Um, I, I was out of money. I was out of food. And um, even the side jobs that I was working to try to make ends meet, like none of them were coming through at the time that I needed them to be able to sustain a living. And I couldn't understand it. Like it was, it was uncanny how like 
all of a sudden I was catering. One of the, one of the several jobs I did was catering. The three different companies I worked for, like, it was like crickets for like weeks. And I said, what, what's going on? I drove rideshare. I would get in the car waiting for a ride to come through. Like an hour and a half would go by and nothing. I'm like, what is going on? It was just, it was really strange. And then I got to the point where, you know, on a Saturday in May, I, I was, I woke up 80 bucks overdraft. I, I was thousands of dollars in the hole. I had been paying rent on credit cards. I had enough food to last the day. And I didn't know how I was going to pay for food the next day or the rent the week after that. And I just put everything, I got on my knees and I put everything in front of God. I said, look, you, you allowed me to get to this point. So you could, only you can take me out of this position, out of this pit. And I trust you're going to do that. So I surrender everything to you. If that means you want me to get out of the business, I'll get out of the business. Just show me where you want me to go and I'll go. But now everything that I'm going through and the situation that I'm in, it's on you. It's not on me. So I'm free. And I literally walked out of my house. I went and spent the, the last 20 bucks I had in my pocket on, on a nice meal. And I came back home and I thought, well, let's see what happens now. And uh, when I got home, I, I opened up my mailbox, as, as you do, and, and there, there sitting in front of me were four checks. And I was speechless. And I had no idea what they were for, where they were from, except one of them. I knew it was like 50 bucks mm -hmm. for some sort of reimbursement I was waiting for. Mm -hmm. And then the other three were just, it was mystifying. So uh, I took them upstairs. I, I sat my phone on the bed. I turned on the camera function. I pressed record on the video function. And I started opening the checks. And I wanted to have like proof for posterity that I wasn't imagining this, that all of a sudden, two hours prior, I was broke and I, had, and I asked for help. And then here was three checks, four checks with, with money in them. And I opened the checks and each check was bigger than the one before it. And at the end of that, I had like 1100 bucks, which to me at that point was the entire Lifeline. world. But it was more than that. It was like, it was an answered prayer. It was God saying, now that you've authentically given me your heart and your desire and your mind, and you've trusted me completely. You're not, you didn't just say you're trusting me, but you're showing me you're trusting me because he knows my heart. Now, this is what happens when you trust me completely. Now I can take care of you. Now I can work with you. So when I stopped letting God, when I stopped micromanaging God's plans for my life, God's direction for me, and I got out of the way, I got out of his way, I got out of my way, then he's like, all right, let's get to work. And then three months later, that's when Dallas called me. The Untold Story continues right after this. And when you learn that you were going to play Jesus, you know, actors going to preparation for roles, they think about how this person would walk, how they would sleep, how they would eat. How did you, how did you begin to say, okay, I'm going I'm to play Jesus? Well, fortunately for me, the last four years leading up to that point, I had played Jesus in one kind of small production or another about five or six times. And that was Dallas's also? His so I did three short films yeah. with Dallas in the, in the four years prior. Mm -hmm. I did a passion play. I played Jesus in a, a live passion play for three years, I think at that point. Yeah, it was about three years. And then I did one other project like four or five years prior. And so I felt like God was giving me 
a little bit of a runway to kind of mm -hmm. practice and then giving me this relationship with Dallas to practice and rehearse this character and this journey very specifically with him for these three short films. And it also allowed Dallas to kind of like figure out how to tell this kind of a story with his sensibilities. So uh, I think we were both grateful for that trial run when we got the opportunity to, at the time, um, film four episodes of season one. So I felt like, okay, now I, I get to really explore what we started in the short films. So what is, how do you manage as a regular human being that so many people see you and they think, oh, there's, there's Jesus. I mean, how do you, how do you keep those things separate in your own life? I try to uh, remind people that I'm not Jesus. and you know, <laughs> I, I wear skull rings that to me have a very yeah, specific religious significance, but to other people, they, they're like, hey, he can't be Jesus He's wearing skull rings. Ah! You know, and they freak out. But, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just try to be myself and mm -hmm. um, let people see that I'm just as flawed as, and broken as everyone else, and but I'm my line of work has allowed me to to do this very unique uh, thing and and play this very singular role. That as an actor, uh, it's probably the most challenging thing I, I will ever do. Uh, it probably is the thing that if I do nothing else, people will remember this, and and if if I actually didn't get to do anything else after this. I'd be okay with it because this has been pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, I saw you in the Jesus Revolution too, mm -hmm. which is a, a movie that you did. It's a huge hit. That was fun. Yeah, and and I I think it's so interesting. You know, I really didn't know where it was going, and it it starts to show this um, young man who is kind of like a. I don't know, for lack of a better word, he becomes this like Christian guru for mm -hmm. all of these people. And you, in that role, kind of um, performs some miracle type things for people in this, in this parish. It's kind of like this, you know, hippie meets more traditional Christian church. And it's based on a real movement that happened at that time in, in, in the United States in the 70s. Um, and then that character, who everyone sort of looks at as, as Jesus or Jesus-like, and he portrays himself that way, kind of starts to go awry, mm. and people lose their confidence in him, mm -hmm. which was very interesting to watch. What's the, what is the message of that? Is it telling people to be wary of certain things that they might see in parishes or church environments? You know, I think... Um Lonnie Frisbee, God rest his soul, Lonnie was a very, very spiritually gifted man, uh, but he was a, a tortured man, like from an, a very early age, he was abused horribly as a child, and that, that stuck with him. And when he got saved, uh, he had this intense vision in a place called Taquitz Canyon, outside of Palm Springs, where literally, like, everything got quiet, and God or Jesus appeared to him and showed him a vision of the Pacific Ocean and instead of water being in the ocean it was filled with young hippies clamoring for for God for Jesus and he he told Lonnie he said you're going to go you're going to bring those people to me 
And he came down out of that mountain sober and preaching the gospel like he had never before. And that, that moment changed his life for several years. Uh, and then as he was in this movement and bringing these young hippies to Christ authentically, I think because he was human, because he was young, because he was, I think, overwhelmed by the amount of attention he was getting, the humanity started to creep in and we're all fallible as humans and, and subject to, you know, the things that tempt us, the things that, you know, blind us in many ways. And I think he fell victim to that and uh, was ostracized in many ways with that. And he had his own history and experience with being abandoned by male figures in his life. So it caused him to start to veer off the path. And then eventually, towards the end of his life, he came back to the church. But he, he one of the um, folks that, uh, and pastors that preached with him when, when he was in his 20s at that time period of the Jesus movement uh, said to me that walking with Lonnie was like walking with an apostle. Like you didn't know what was going to happen and what just jaw-dropping acts of God might take place in his presence. So the, th the things we depict in the film are based on real things that actually happened. Um, so it was really exciting. But then for me as an actor, it's also exciting to play yeah. the, the weakness. A complicated, yeah. well, certainly... The character you usually play is pretty complicated yeah. too, but um, I don't know what that's about. But it was, yeah, the, it, it was. It's very interesting, and I, I do. I recommend um, people watch it. You know, um, as you point out, the Chosen and the Hallow app are really open and available to all Christians of different faiths or people who have no faith and are interested in, in learning more or even people who just want to understand more about the Bible. I've been doing the Bible in a year with mm -hmm. Father Mike, um, and that's just a really eye-opening education. If you weren't raised in a Catholic school, which I wasn't, and you didn't learn these things mm -hmm. in an academic environment, it's a great way to kind of catch up and, and learn it. But what is it like for you in Hollywood as a, as a Catholic? Um, I mean, it really doesn't take any kind of shape until I actually go to church and people recognize me. Mm -hmm. I don't, I haven't had anybody um, come at me since I've been more um, outspoken or since I've been more available to, to you know, to explain or, or share with people my thoughts on faith. I mean, several years ago, I had people close to me that were in the business say, hey, you may want to downplay your faith a little bit. And I'm like, really? And, uh, and I, never, I never led with that to begin with. So I was like, wow, that's kind of strange. And I think just even having the conversation with people about talking openly about faith, I think in Hollywood is just something that's generally frowned upon because it's there's almost like a don't ask don't tell sort of policy with with most people but then if they do happen to be of faith or have faith or some kind of faith and you share that and they're like you too oh my gosh i thought i was the only one you know and right. you start to realize when you open up to people that people are are hungry for these conversations they because it's part of so many people's identity like why why would you not want to talk about that why would that be off limits. Right. So for me, it never know, has yeah. been. I mean, uh, um, it's interesting to hear Mark Wahlberg speak so openly about his mm -hmm. faith. I feel like it, it's kind of happening um, more and more, yeah. you know? Um, I think that gives people hope and encouragement, especially if, if you're in an environment like that mm -hmm. and, you know, you see somebody that's a public figure 
talking about it, it, it makes it okay. You know, it starts to tip the scale and change the, the, um, the, the tenure of the conversation. And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's something more people want, especially now as they feel like, you know, are a lot of the things that we, that we, that we cling to, a lot of traditions are, are sort of being encroached upon and, and they feel like they can't, you know, they can't express that anymore. Yeah. Um, do you think that the country as a whole is, you know, we hear so much about, and you can tell, you know, statistics and how people answer poll questions that they are less and less into organized faith, a little bit more into just saying, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not a member of a church, all that kind of uh, sentiment. But when you look at the popularity of what you're doing in The Chosen and in Hallow and in your other work, do you sense that there's something else going on in the country? I think, I think it's got more people talking and gives some, something for people to, to bond around, you know, like a, like a water cooler conversation, but mm -hmm. in an entire, you know, church community or a parish. Um, I think that it's brought more people together. And, and for me, that's, that's my hope, mm -hmm. that if there is that kind of a contribution that people are, are walking away with from this kind of work, that like they're bringing it to their churches. I mean, I know churches that are, are doing these program, like eight week, you know, Bible study courses, and they use the chosen mm -hmm. as, um, you know, like a, a starting point or the parishes are offering hallow to, to their parishes for free, you know, to be able to pray yeah. more for like the next several months, I think it is. Yeah. So, um, there, I, I think there's, there's things that are happening that are countering what popular culture might lead people to believe is actually happening. So I think we got to just stay strong and keep, you know, keep praying and keep, uh, keep the faith and share the faith. If somebody asks you about it, to have the courage to talk about it. So last question for you um, is about a moment in The Chosen, which I find very interesting, and I found myself going back to and thinking about, and it's the first miracle at the wedding at Cana. Mm. And your mom is there, <laughs> um, the Virgin Mary's there, and they've run out of wine. And you go into the room to perform the first miracle after telling her, look, you know, not yet. And she says, no, no, seriously, we need, we need wine at this party and I need you to help me out. And so there's almost a moment there where it kind of, two things, it made me smile because I thought, oh, he's thinking, oh my gosh, I hope this works. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's the first time that we see you kind of look upward and try to make that connection with God in order to make something mortal and real happen in these urns to fill with wine. And you see, like, the pressure on a man to try to be there and, and fulfill it. And then also, this as an actor, like, how do you show what it means to communicate with God? It's a pretty interesting moment. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty special moment to get to portray uh, that specific scripture passage. Um, I had always wondered what that might look like because I'd never really quite seen it done the way we attempted to do it yeah. and, and ultimately did it. And uh, I was pretty happy with the way it turned out. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's easy for me to, to look at a scene and say, ah, man, I wonder if I just did that differently. Or like, you know, I start thinking about it critically and mm -hmm. wondering how I, how I might change it if I did it again. Or, so uh, a lot of the times I can't think too much 
about what I've done. I, I start to understand a bit more now when when I would see, you know, interviews with actors like, oh, I don't, I never watch myself. And I'm like, right. why? What's the big deal? Like, or why is it weird? And now I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it's probably, okay, yeah, I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't watch myself anymore. So, because um, I might want to, I'll think, oh, and I'll start second guessing. Your own worst critic, of yeah, course, everybody exactly. is. Well, I, as a, as a viewer and someone who's actually very critical of a lot of things that mm. I watch, I just think it's such a, it's a very perfectly, done moment. So I, that's my way of encouraging everybody to start with season one. Um, and, uh, I, I know you'll, you know, feel richer for the experience of having doing it. So Jonathan, um, it's, it's great. Thank you so much for all your time you, today. And, uh, Pleasure. we really, um, look forward to your work and we're grateful for the contribution that you're making, um, you through so your much. work. So thank you. Best of luck to you in the future. Thank great you. to have you here. Thank you. Merry Jonathan Christmas. Rumi. Thanks for joining us on the untold story. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.